You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to The Good GP. My name's Sean Stevens, and today we've got a special episode on OCD. We were contacted by one of our listeners, Dr. Lena Rennick, who has lived experience of OCD and wanted to work with us to produce an episode to educate our colleagues. Welcome, Lena. Hello, Sean. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the opportunity. Good stuff. Also joining us is Dr. Scott Blair-West, consultant psychiatrist and medical director of the OCD program at the Melbourne Clinic. Welcome, Scott. Thanks, Sean. Good to be here. And uh, thanks to Lena for the idea and the initiative behind it. So let's get straight into it. OCD is a very underdiagnosed and underrecognized condition estimated to affect more than 3% of the Australian population. Scott, can you please tell us how OCD can impact on the lives of our patients? Look, several ways, actually. So OCD involves sort of phenomenologically intrusive thoughts, intrusive images in some cases, anxiety and compulsive behaviours. So all of those areas can, can cause pretty significant functional impairment and distress. So people can be tortured by distressing thoughts. Uh, their life can be dominated by the need to perform compulsive behaviours for hours and hours. But more subtly, it can affect their concentration and their focus. So that affects schoolwork and work itself. And then there's depression. And then you have to include also the consequences of damage to schooling, effect on relationships, effect on working possibilities. So it's pretty extensive, really. So, Lena, can you elaborate for us some of the ways it's impacted on you and, and those close to you? Yeah, well, as Scott was saying, I experienced a lot of those intrusive thoughts and compulsions. But for me, it took several years of symptoms until I was diagnosed. So I kind of had onset of symptoms as an adolescent and wasn't diagnosed until my mid-20s. And in that time, I saw several psychologists. And even when I spoke to a GP about my symptoms, it was still um, four years after that until I had a diagnosis. So it was really running rampant in my studies to be a doctor. And then when I started work as a doctor, as well as with my personal life and relationships. Mm. So really quite a lot of morbidity for you there. It must have been really tough. It was, yeah. So if we look at screening and detection then, uh, it's often difficult in general practice because people are reluctant to talk about OCD and, and GP consults by nature are very, very busy. Scott, can you give us some telltale signs that GPs can look out for and a couple of screening questions that we could ask? Yeah, look, you're right. There's often quite a delay in diagnosis. I think, to be honest, we're getting a little bit better at this. But I think what we're realising now is that for a lot of people with OCD, their symptoms start quite young. Often their symptoms during childhood and adolescence might only occur for, you know, maybe a short period of time and then improve. But usually at, at, at a time, maybe it's late adolescence, they become more significant. So one of the things I think we should be thinking about here is trying to pick it up in childhood and adolescence particularly. Now, I just read an article in Medicine Today, actually, by Ian Perks from Sydney, who's talking about OCD in children, and he's suggesting that we should be screening for it with pretty much all children and adolescents with anxiety and sort of signs of behavioural difficulties. But obviously, you know, some people will present with pretty obvious compulsive behaviours, and that's a bit easier to figure out. One of the telltale signs has always been sore red hands. Mm. So there's a lot of people who present to GPs and 
there's some questions that could be asked there. I mean, obviously people think, oh, it's a dermatitis, but it's actually a, a consequence of washing hands for lengthy periods of time. And that's particularly relevant in the current circumstance with, you know, post-pandemic or I guess we're still in it really, aren't we? Mm. Look, screening questions. There's a couple of screeners you can use. There's a short OCD screener, which isn't too bad. But basically questions like, do you check a lot? Do you wash and clean a lot? Do your activities take a long time to finish? Do you have to go over things over and over again? Are there thoughts that bother you? Do you have rituals or routines that you have to do every day? And ask you maybe about troubling thoughts. So those, those are the sort of questions that I'd be thinking about. Mm, okay, that's great. Yeah, nice, sort of short, simple, good chance of pick up. Yeah, I like it. What about you, Lena? Is there anything you look for in your patients that might alert you to a diagnosis of OCD? I think it's just really important to normalize intrusive thoughts because everyone has intrusive thoughts and it's the response to the intrusive thoughts that's abnormal. So cutting your finger is a common thought when you're dicing your veggies for dinner, but extrapolating that possibility as really likely, getting anxious about it, feeling the need to do something to stop that event from happening is what's abnormal. And I think one of the things I learned about OCD is that people have generally really good insight so that they they realize that their intrusive thoughts and that their behaviors are quite obscure and irrational and so it's tied up with a lot of shame Mm. and so often including myself and the people that I know with OCD they they weren't willing to kind of tell their health professionals about their thoughts because they were so ashamed of them so yeah really normalizing them with your patients telling them that you know everyone has intrusive thoughts and there are things that we can do when you have an abnormal response to them and I think providing hope that, that there's a treatment for it, that there's, there's a condition. Mm, okay. That's, look, I think that's really, really great advice because there are so many conditions in general practice where people don't want to present. And I think you know, OCD is just the classic one because, as you say, people are, are embarrassed and worried to bring it up. And if you can ask about it, then I think that, like you say, normalizes and allows people to then talk about it. One thing I've noticed, um, there's a really good program, the Mood Assessment Program, through what used to be the Black Dog, but you get a really detailed report for people who present with depression. And the number of times there's OCD sitting behind it, it never ceases to amaze me. Yeah, in fact, Sean, I was going to say, sometimes, particularly in adults, if we see people with a treatment-resistant depression, we really need to think, is there an anxiety disorder underlying it? And OCD is you know, one of the more common ones. Social anxiety as well. There's a lot of comorbidity between OCD, social anxiety, panic attacks, and the generalised anxiety symptoms that we see as well. Mm, yeah, no, that's um, really good advice because um, people will often present with depression because it is just it just really affects their lives. So they're happy to present with that. But yeah, then I I think you're right, just looking for these things behind it. That's a really good tip. So Scott, once we're confident we've made the diagnosis of OCD, how can we manage it in primary care? And when should we be thinking about a referral? Well, look, I I think what we know pretty much universally in anxiety disorders and OCD is a perfect example, is that probably there's a minority of people with significant OCD who are actually getting treatment at any one time. And look, I think there's a number of people, what that suggests to me is that there's people of all levels of severity. Now, 
probably the most severely unwell people aren't going to be easily managed or maybe managed, jointly managed um, via GP and psychiatrist. But that means there's going to be a large number of people who can be managed in general practice. Look, I think the first thing is what we call psychoeducation. So explaining what the condition is, explaining, as Leonard said, the intrusive thoughts and how everyone has them. What we think about people with OCD is they just have probably one, a lot more of those intrusive thoughts. But secondly, they give them a lot more meaning as well. And the thing about OCD is if you start to respond to it and you know perform compulsions, then it actually makes the thoughts worse and makes the thoughts more powerful. So explaining the nature of the condition, intrusive thoughts or intrusive images in some cases, talking about all of the different possibilities. So in the past, I guess we've thought about OCD as being, you know, mainly people with contamination and washing and people who check. But we know now that there's a whole range of additional intrusive sexual thoughts, intrusive thoughts relating to religion, intrusive thoughts related to to harm and security. And a lot of these thoughts become more obvious, you know, now. And the pandemic's obviously going to change a lot of this stuff. I, I suspect we're going to see a lot more we're already starting to see a lot more people worrying about contamination and causing harm to other people as a consequence. And I think this is just going to get more and more as we go on. So that's my first thought, explaining the nature of the condition. And obviously that requires some understanding of it. Secondly, whether the, then you're going to come to that issue of, of treatment. Do you take it on in general practice yourself? Now, general practitioners are very competent and and capable of prescribing medications a lot of people don't would prefer not to take meds and that obviously raises the dilemma as to you know do you refer at that point or do you consider providing some treatment yourself exposure and response prevention is the most effective treatment the gold standard really technically it's not a particularly difficult treatment to provide practically it requires quite a bit of attention to detail I know there are some GPs who are very keen to do mental health work in their practices and that would be possible, but you'd need to do probably a bit of reading and a bit of understanding of it. The alternative, I guess, is to to look at the self-help books that are available and there are a whole range of those, some pretty good. If I can offer a couple of suggestions here, there's a good book by Jonathan Grayson, G-R-A-Y-S-O-N, and another good one by John Abramowitz, both from States but good sort of self-help explanatory books that are probably a good way to start for some people. And would you advise referral to a psychologist for anyone more than mild symptoms or do you think needs a psychiatric assessment first? Look, I think the, the, the most important thing really is knowing that the person you're referring to understands OCD and that might you might think, well, that, that should be the case, but unfortunately the behavioural treatments, the exposure and response prevention treatments are not known and not practised by all psychologists. So I usually say to patients, if you're looking uh, for a psychologist, you should probably ring them up and ask them a couple of questions yourself. You should ask them, do you do exposure and response prevention? Do you set homework for, for patients? And, you know, that's where I, I get people to start. And in terms of medication treatment, what would be your advice to GPs? Look, I think if you think it's going to need medication and the general rules of thumb with with medication are severe symptoms, 
and comorbidity, and the obvious comorbidity is depression. But if there's an enormous amount of anxiety, then you certainly would think about it. Look, I think you you work to within your level of understanding and competence, I suppose. Yeah. One of the things about OCD medication treatment is that we can, in some cases, give quite high doses. Now, most GPs aren't going to be confident about prescribing a very large dose of an SSRI. And if, that, if you're getting up to that level, then you, you probably should think about an opinion at that point, I think. Yeah, okay. Good advice. Okay, then. So if we summarise for our listeners, first of all, Lena, can you give us three take-home messages, please? Okay, so... Yeah, normalise intrusive thoughts and ask the question. Everybody has intrusive thoughts. The response to them is what's abnormal. Another key thing that I've learned is that, you know, OCD is a disease of uncertainty. So one of the main compulsions is that I've had is, is rumination and seeking reassurance and asking questions. But, you know, people with OCD perform rituals to ease discomfort, but trying to answer the question isn't going to work. And it's kind of the point where you're reassuring yourself that your obsession won't come true, but you'll ask questions and you'll you'll think about it for a stupid amount of time. <laughs> and then the other thing is that, you know, with treatment, the aim isn't to eliminate intrusive thoughts. So exposure response prevention and another treatment Um, acceptance commitment therapy they both acknowledge that the thoughts are normal and it's how you respond to the thoughts and yeah if GPs just want to have a have a read on ERP and ACT therapy just teaching patients a little bit about the principles of the treatment is is just a great place to start. Okay thank you it's always really good to get the opinion of somebody who does have that lived experience but also understands it from a GP and and clinical perspective. So thank you. Scott, what would be your three take-home messages? Look, I think the first is one we've already discussed to some extent and that is trying to think about OCD as a possibility. It's, as I said, you know, in childhood and adolescence, I think we should think about it because it does often start at a relatively young age or often in primary school years in some cases. I mean, we recognise it more in from adolescence onwards, but, you know, think about it early. Um, I guess one of the things that I probably should have mentioned before, we talked about red hands, but one of the other things often is people asking GPs for reassurance. And this relates particularly to sort of health, anxiety, OCD symptoms. So you'll have a patient who'll come in and ask you about the same issue over and over again, not necessarily in the same consult, but repetitively, you know, uh, con- you know, one consult after the other. And if you feel like you're being asked the same question the whole time, then that probably should make you think that, you know, this is an anxiety issue and perhaps even an OCD thing as well. As Lena said, if you can get people to sort of talk to you about their intrusive thoughts, then that's a good start. I mean, we found in our hospital program that our hospital program is based on psychoeducation and exposure treatments. But one of the big positives we see is we get eight people in the same room talking about OCD and most of them have never actually knowingly talked to anyone else with OCD in their lives. And so actually sharing it a bit and understanding that other people have the same dilemmas is a really positive thing. I guess the second thing I'd say is the, the psychoed stuff, which I've sort of touched on a bit there as well. And there's a lot of work that can be done there. And, and look, as I said, I think if you want to learn about OCD as a GP, I'd probably get one of those self-help books and just have a bit of a read of it. And they explain the situation well. 
and it's the sort of stuff that your, your patients are going to be reading anyway. The third thing I'd say is that treatments actually work pretty well. We know that about, you know, up to 80% of people do well with exposure therapy. Some people can't do it, but the ones who, who, who attempt it usually do really well. And pretty much everyone who comes into our hospital program leaves improved. The key task for them is to keep that going in the, in the subsequent weeks after they leave the hospital. The medications are reasonably helpful. As Leonard said, they don't get rid of the thoughts. And most people will say, look, I've still got the thoughts, but they don't feel as sort of intense. They don't feel like I have to take notice of them all the time. So that, again, I'd be optimistic about treatments. Great. Okay, yeah, and I think being able to give our patients that optimism is awesome. So thanks very much, Leonard and Scott. It's been a really enlightening episode, and it's certainly going to change my practice. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. No worries. Thanks a lot.